There is nothing more foundational for a follower of Christ than the greatest commandment. Jesus clearly stated to those who were curious that loving God and loving others were foundational to the life as a believer. We as believers can love God through worship, the studying of His Word, and our walk with Christ. We can love others through seeing, serving, and sharing with them. So let us build on the firm foundation of Christ as we love God, love others, and advance His kingdom. It's good to see you guys today. I'm a little, uh, I don't got as much pep in my step this week as I had last week, not because of anything here, but because yesterday I filled in refing for upward flag football, and um, I forgot what it was like, one, to be a referee. Uh, people are just, they just sometimes aren't nice. So mentally it was uh, taxing, and then two, I learned the rules because it had been about seven or eight years probably since I had last refed a game, so I had to learn the rules two days before. But then physically chasing third and fourth graders around that field was, um, was tiring. So when I got home last night, I was a little wore out, and uh, I just figured out that I'm also just getting older, and that's just the way it goes. So I'm glad to be here today. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, um, just... One more time, I want to say thanks to you all uh, for, one, being here, for how kind and gracious you've been to Laura and I. We appreciate those that came last week to the welcome reception. Uh, we're still reading the cards that you've given us, and so we, we're just really thankful to be here, excited about the future. And by next Friday evening, we'll be residents of Shawnee, and so we're grateful for that as well, uh, too, that the Lord's been kind to us in allowing us to move here quickly. Um, I'm going to begin the sermon by using a quote from a book that will actually come on the screen. I figured instead of me reading it to you, uh, that we would read it together. And it's important because it sets the tone from where we're headed. Remember, this series is about foundations. We're going to look at familiar passages that are foundational to our Christian faith. We're not breaking any new ground. We're just going to look at some scriptures that we know and, how, and hopefully be reminded of what role that God's word should play in our life, and that's what we're going to look at today. So Dave Hunt, in his latest book, An Urgent Call to a Serious Faith, says that Christians have stopped looking to God's word for answers and are instead looking in other places. We are plagued by the yes, but syndrome, is what he titled it as. Isn't the Bible God's inerrant word? Yes, but. I've tried it, and it doesn't work. Don't we have the leading of the Holy Spirit and Christ indwelling to guide and empower us? Yes, but in silence. Hunt continues this thought. Like Adam and Eve, mankind still flees the voice of God, clothes itself with makeshift garments of new theories, no better than fragile leaves, and hides behind the trees of its latest excuses for unbelief and rebellion. His assessment is right on target. It seems that today we've tossed out the counsel of God's word as irrelevant and are searching for solutions elsewhere. The same God that, st that stopped the mouths of lions, comforted Job in distress, delivered a son to Abraham, gave courage to Peter at Pentecost, and filled Paul with joy in prison is now being labeled as outdated and old-fashioned. The principles in the Bible apply to Christian life today. I think you and I would agree with that. That's why we're gathered here today. But the problem is not the Bible. The problem is in the hearts of men and women who refuse to follow God for answers for life. 
Those that claim the Bible doesn't work, I believe they've never actually tried to use it. And this morning, we're going to look at Paul's instructions to Timothy, a young pastor, about God's word and how it's to be used in our lives as we seek to love him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To gain some context for you and I this morning, because we're jumping into the middle of a letter, is this. Timothy is, is the recipient of this letter from Paul, who's in prison. And the whole theme, really, of 2 Timothy is about a bold perseverance in the face of suffering. And so he's encouraging Timothy as a young pastor in the face of suffering to fight the good fight of faith. And it's a very personal letter. Paul often refers to himself as an example uh, to Timothy and that he's an example he should look to. Paul uses metaphors to talk about the struggles of the Christian faith and what it's like to be in Christian ministry. He uses an athlete, he uses a farmer, he uses a soldier as a way to explain that in chapter two. He also is battling false teaching. And he talks about what a faithful teacher looks like as he talks to them about um, an instrument or a approved worker or a Lord's slave. And at the beginning of chapter three, Paul's writing to Timothy about the way that these false teachers are living and teaching. And in verse 10, he switches over to this is how you should live your life in contrast to them. And that's where we pick up our passage today. I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 10, and we'll, we'll read through the end of the chapter. But primarily, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 17. It says this in verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. You... How, you However, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of gathering together and opening up your word. God, we understand from your word that your word is living and active. And Father, that it, it will find us where we are, it'll penetrate to the depths of our heart, and I pray that this morning your word would do that in the hearts of those that are gathered in this place. God, as I've prayed all week, I've prayed that the hearts of the people in this room, that their hearts are open, that they are fertile soil, and that the seeds of your word would fall upon their hearts, would take root, and would bring transformation in their life. God, help us understand the power and authority that your word has and how it's useful for us as we live obedient lives to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. There are three truths this morning. If you got the outline, if you either took a picture of the screen or you got a bulletin, uh, you'll see the outline here. There's three, there's three important parts of truths that I want to reveal that the scripture reveals to us. And the first is this, his word is breathed out. 
The word scripture here in this context would have been used to refer to the Old Testament. When we read it, we have all of the scripture put before us, right? And so when Paul says all scripture, he wasn't referring to a single passage of scripture. He was gonna either make a collective reference to all scripture or a part of reference to each passage of scripture. The fact that the Greek word lacks the definite article would normally suggest a reading of something like this, every scripture. Some of your Bibles may say that, some may say all. And what we wanna understand here is what Paul's saying is, is he, he doesn't say that his letters are a part of these scriptures explicitly. But we also know that Paul felt inspired from the Lord and wrote his letters. In fact, in Colossians 4 and in 1 Thessalonians 5, he directed that his letters be read in Christian assemblies alongside Old Testament readings. On numerous occasions, he mentioned speaking in the name and authority of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.13, he wrote these words, words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So there's this idea, what is the scripture? Well, we know it's referring to the Old Testament. That's the scripture that they had in their context and time. But as Paul was also doing it, he knew that he had been inspired. And we now know the other side of that is that his words were inspired by God. And so we're able to take this to be all scripture, every part of it. Because if you believe one part of scripture to be inspired and then you believe another part of scripture to be inspired, eventually if you believe every part is inspired, then you're gonna believe that all of it is inspired. But the term all scripture also means that you can't pick and choose which scriptures you want to obey, know, and apply to your life. I don't know about you, but many times I'm in conversations with people that they start talking about God's word as an authoritative voice in their life, and then they start applying it to something. And then when you bring up another part of scripture to, to kind of counteract that, and they look at you like, that doesn't apply to me. Because if we're not careful, we can pick and choose parts of the Bible that best apply to us and best that, that we think fits our agenda or our worldview or what our belief is. And so when it says all scripture, it basically tells us that all of his word is binding. It's good, it's true, it's trustworthy, and we wanna hold on to all of it. We don't get to pick and choose from it what we want to obey and what we do not want to obey. The doctrines that will, that will shape our practice and the doctrines we're just gonna cast to the side. Because it's breathed out by God. This refers uh, to God's word being inspired by God. It's the process of inspiration. Listen, to, we have a great university here with way more uh, detailed pathways that we could go down into this, but I'll use it in this way. The process of inspiration is revealed where God reveals his person and plan to certain believers who write down this message. And God uses their own personal, historical, and cultural context to write out his message. He, uses, he allows them to use their own minds and their styles and their talents in order to do that, but they write down everything, everybody had one thing in common, God's word, being breathed out by him. Lake Hefner in Oklahoma City is like one of the windiest places in all of America. I don't, I don't know what it is about that one particular place. Maybe somebody here can know that. But it's like the wind is always blowing there even if it's not blowing anywhere else in the city. And there are sailboats that are often out on that. Now listen, I know nothing about sailing. So when I'm, a, I'm using an illustration that I have no knowledge of. But here's what I know is this. If Laura and I were each in our own sailboat, 
there would be a wind that would be blowing us and it would be blowing us in the same direction, but she's gonna work in her boat the way she wants to work in her boat to go the certain way and I'm gonna work in my boat and this is what's happening. And this is what it means when it says that scriptures God breathed and the inspiration of scripture is that he used these individuals and their cultures and contexts to pin his words, but the words were his words in every one of those cultures and contexts. And this is why we can have authority This means that scripture is breathed out by God, stressing its divine origin and authority of it. Ronald Reagan said this, I never had any doubt about it being of divine origin when he was talking about the Bible. Point out to me any similar collection of writings that have lasted for as many thousands of years and is still a bestseller worldwide. It had to be a divine origin. God's inspiration of scripture did not ruin or destroy the individuality. He didn't put these individuals into trances and move their hand to write his words. As as Peter would say in 2 Peter 1.21, men spoke from God as if they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Adrian Rogers, the great preacher, said, and this quote will be on the screen, when we get this book written over a period of 1,600 years, employing 40 different authors from all walks of life, writing in three different languages, it comes together to make one beautiful temple of God's truth. Nothing needs to be added or taken away or embellished. There it stands, one book. We can't say that it just happened. No thinking person would honestly say it was an accident. No, the unity of the Bible is one of the most wonderful proofs of the inspiration of God's word. That scripture is given by inspiration of God. In addition to the frontal attack against the Bible from those who deny it, in addition to the rear attack by those who substitute their experience for the word of God, there is an attack from the flank by people who want to replace it or prop it up with psychology, philosophy, and other things, as if the Bible is not good enough on its own. But friend, the Bible is true. And if you're looking for truth, you can be sure to find it there. As it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible is inspired, God breathed, verifying its authority and the trustworthy name of God. My hope is, is that you would agree with me this morning that God's word is inspired, inerrant, supreme, sufficient, trustworthy, living, active, and the nourishment that you and I souls need to live in this life that he's called us to live. Every age has questioned the authority and power of God's word. The age that we live in today is questioning the power and authority of God's word. And every age that will come in the future will do the same thing. And it is important for you and I to know God's word and to let it dictate and drive our practice of it. Because the world wants to tell us differently. They want to question its authenticity. They believe that error can be found in it. And what Timothy was experiencing is similar to what we experience. And so we can either trust in the authority of God's word and align our lives to it, or we can easily begin to model for the generations to come that it's okay to pick and choose from it as long as it aligns with what you believe personally. We've gotta see it in its fullness. Number two, his word is profitable. It's profitable, why? Because it's God breathed. This is why we can look at it. The divine origin of scripture both both secures and explains its human's profit. 
If we use scripture, we'll see it as profitable in our life. And I think it starts with this. It's profitable for salvation. Look at verse 15. Paul writing to Timothy says, and, from, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, the word of God can't save you. That's the work of Jesus, you placing your faith and trust in Jesus. But the word of God is a, it's a manual for salvation. It makes us wise to God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. It's God uses his words to draw people to himself. And I'll say this, we shouldn't have to add anything to God's word to try to convince somebody to believe in Jesus. His word is sufficient enough for us to do that. His word is powerful enough to do that. In fact, Charles Spurgeon would say, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book only widens and deepens with our years. Would you guys agree with that? I remember being a little sixth grader walking into Sunday school class, and this is before I became a believer, but I was a church kid. And I remember thinking to myself one day, I think I might have actually told my teacher this. I might have had a little bit of arrogance in my life growing up. And the teacher asked a question. I said, I know everything there is to know about the Bible. And then I showed up to OBU as a freshman and walked into Dr. Kelly's class and realized I know nothing about the Bible. And at 38, I read God's word on a daily basis and find things that I have never had discovered before. Because throughout the years of our life, the more time we spend in scripture, the more it will grow, it'll continue to grow, we'll continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of it. And this is part of the salvation process that's happening is, is it's most profitable to make us wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning point that begins to happen. Scripture alone can't save you, but it teaches you about salvation, as John Stott would say. This quote will be up here on the screen. I'm going to pick up about halfway through. It says, the whole Bible unfolds the divine scheme of salvation. Man's creation in God's image. His fall through disobedience into sin and under judgment. God's continuing love for him in spite of his rebellion. God's eternal plan to save him through his covenant grace with the chosen people. Culminating in Christ, the coming of Christ as Savior, who died to bear man's sin, who raised him from death, was exalted to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit, and man's rescue first from guilt and alienation, then from bondage, and finally from mortality and his progressive experience of the liberty of God's children. And as he says at the very, very end here, none of this would have been known apart from biblical revelation. Scripture instructs for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us not forget the power that God's word has to move us to salvation. Some of you are like, hey, I'm saved. Great, we're glad that you're saved. Let's talk about how it's also profitable for us moving forward, and let's talk about teaching. Teaching here in verse 16 refers to instruction, that the word of God would be profitable to teach and refute error. Listen, biblical doctrine, the, the, the beliefs that we have as believers is the content and teaching of truth which flows from and is consistent with scripture. Any doctrine that contradicts biblical doctrine is, re, is to be rejected, corrected, and replaced by accurate teaching. And I'll say this, the teaching of the word helps you and I be able to decipher between good stuff and God's stuff. 
This is important because there are people out there who teach good stuff, but it's not God stuff. I, I watch even people that I know in my, families, in, in my family, in my sphere of influences of people who have, who have begun to believe things that are not of God, but they sound really good and really close. And this is why it's important that we know God's word and the fullness of it, and that if you in this room have a, a teaching uh, position within the church or within school or whatever, that when you teach the Bible, you teach God's word. It's enough. It doesn't need you and I's thoughts added to it. And this is why the whole Old Testament and New Testament need to be studied. All parts of Scripture make up the tapestry of our teaching. I don't know about you, but I run into people who are like, yeah, I don't read much in the Old Testament. The New Testament speaks to who I am as a believer today. And then I meet these people who love the Old Testament because they're like, well, everybody likes the New Testament, so I want to hang out in the Old Testament. We got to take all of Scripture because it's all profitable for us. And it as it teaches us, it begins to move us into action. And because what we're learning from God's Word becomes the practice of what we do. And listen, I'll say this to you this morning. If you spend more time listening to other people tell you what God's Word says, then you are in danger of being easily deceived. And I say that in a church that's full of great Bible teachers who faithfully teach and preach God's word. Because I'll say this, the greatest teacher of God's word is God himself. And we need to spend personal time with him on a regular basis, engaging in God's word so that it can teach us the things that we need to know that will inform our practices of life but it also gives us a backdrop that when we hear somebody teaching God's word, we can compare what we're hearing with God's word to know if it's in line. It's also good for reproof. Some of your Bibles may say rebuke. I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody who welcomes rebuke. Like, nobody likes to be corrected. Most of the time when we're corrected, it often, we get a little bit defensive, but here's what I'll say about this. God's word is God-breathed and it reveals truth, so therefore it's gonna exercise authority over those who walk in opposition of it. And because you walk, if you walk in opposition of it, and, I, and I'll say this, you may be in here and think, well, I don't walk in opposition to God's word. If you're doing anything in your life that's in opposition of God's word, his word is going to reveal that about you. And he's going to rebuke you through his word. As one commentator put it, whether reproof, repro I, I did this in the first service too. I got to this exact point and couldn't say that word. Man, you guys know what I'm saying. I'll just say it this way. Whether rebuke is personal or doctrinal, scripture shows sinners their failures, clarifies the point of the mistake, and leads them to a new sense of peace and wholeness. God confronts us in the pages of his word. Listen, church, the offensiveness of Scripture is something we should be thankful for. No matter how much it hurts to be confronted by our own sinfulness, we should be thankful that God does not want to leave us where he found us. He wants to move us to become more like him. So his word, all inspired, God breathed, 
He teaches you and then he rebukes you to move you where he wants you to go. And I don't know about you, but I'm super thankful that he's always provided a pathway of correction. I've been on the receiving end of criticism, a rebuke, where like I, I, I wasn't meeting the standard and was rebuked because of it, but no plan of action of how we could correct it. And I'm thankful that we have a God who wants to provide us a pathway of correction. Correction comes from the Greek word that means straight. And I'll say this, God's word straightens us out. I can think about like a grandparent saying, I'm gonna straighten you out, right? This is what God's word does. It helps bring conviction for our misguided and disobedient heirs, and it helps restore us on the right path. The word of God is profitable for reforming our manners and disciplining us in right living. And this is why we should heed its words. And finally, it's good for training in righteousness. Training is the counterpart to correcting. This is where scripture helps us mature in our faith. If training leads to right living, then the ultimate goal of scripture includes preparation needed to minimize the need for reproof and correction. As Kent Hughes and Brian Chappell would say in their commentary, the righteousness that comes to a believer by faith is actualized by the training of God's word. And so as we conclude this section about that his word is profitable to us, there's some questions that I would like to give you when you read God's word to ask that help us move through this process. And the first is this, what is the truth of God revealed in this passage? What is his word saying in the context that it was written, then what error in judgment, understanding, or practice in my life is this passage rebuking? Sometimes I wonder if we ask this question more often when we read God's word, how much more we would become like him. But we don't wanna ask this question because we don't wanna find out. Number three, what correction or direction is this passage presenting? What correction or direction? And then finally, what training is this passage giving in order to carry out God's mission in my life? So his word is breathed out. We can hold on to it. It's divine origin and authority. It's profitable for us because it leads us to salvation. It helps us in our walk with the Lord and it equips us for the work that he's called us to do. In verse 17, it says that the man of God may be complete. The man of God being a reference uh, to Titus and his leadership within the church but I believe we can take this and apply it to our everyday life of a man of God and a woman of God. He uses two forms of the Greek word for equip. Complete being the adjective and equip or equipped being the participle. He does this to make a point and here's the point. The believer is super equipped through the word of God. The word of God is intended to bring you and I to maturity in faith. God's revealed word has made it possible for you and I to know how do we mature as believers in our walk with the Lord. God tells us how much he loves us and he tells us how we can be a part of his family and then he tells us how we can live our lives to please him. Paul was instructing Timothy here that through faith and reliance in God's word, he would be complete and equipped to face the challenges that he would, that he would in, in, endure as, as a young pastor. 
John Stott would say, Scripture is the chief means which God employs to bring the man of God to maturity. His word, brothers and sisters, prepares you for every good work. From leading others to Christ, to teaching others the Bible, to growing, to, to growing in your own faith, his word prepares you for it. As, as Donald Whitney would say in his book, Spiritual Disciplines, he says this, God's plan for sanctifying us, that is, for making us holy and godly, is accomplished by the means of the truth, his word. Now listen to this sentence. If we settle for a poor quality intake of hearing, reading, and studying God's word, we severely restrict the main flow of God's sanctifying grace towards us. For those who use their Bibles little are really not much better off than those who have no Bible at all. It is hard for me to fathom that a believer, a Christ follower, can be ill-prepared for the work that God has put before them when you have the instruction manual at your disposal. There are more Bibles sitting on your shelf at home than some people have access to in the rest of the world, yet we oftentimes are the most ill-equipped for the work of God. I have a friend I met on mission work. I won't say where he is, I'll just say this. I was with him for a significant amount of time and saw him sharing the gospel with people and saw him making disciples, and then a few years later, I got wind that he was arrested for doing that and that he, had been, that he was going to be released, but he was being released with, if you keep doing this, you will be back in jail. Well, he wasn't gonna stop doing what God had called him to do, which was to share the gospel. So this is what he did. He started memorizing the scripture and I said, why are, you, why are you memorizing the scripture? Like, wh what's the purpose of that outside of normal scripture memory? And he said this, when I go to prison, by the way, a father of two young children, he said, when I go to prison, this is all I'll have is what's in my mind. He was preparing himself for the work that was gonna come because it was only gonna be that preparation that would be lived out in prison as he's with these other people. I can only think about what Paul was experiencing as he sat with other prisoners, right? That it was gonna be the scripture that was gonna come to his mind that God would use in that time to encourage him, that he would use to share with other people. And so church, I say this as a foundational element of our faith is as if we don't spend time in God's word, you cannot be equipped for the work he's called you to do. And it's super important as believers, and I'm very passionate about it. You cannot walk faithfully with the Lord and not be devoted to his word. It's impossible. So do not let it be said about you and I that we are ill-prepared for the work that God has set before us simply because we couldn't pick up the instruction manual because we didn't have time to read it and prepare ourselves for the work he's put before us. And I'll recount this in conclusion. The opening illustration said we have the yes but syndrome in today's world. And I'll say this, either you think God's word is breathed out by him and is inspired, or you don't. Either you think it's profitable for you or you don't. 
and you think it equips you or you don't. I'm not really sure that there's any middle ground when it comes to this. If you think it's inspired and believe it's inspired, then you'll think it's profitable for you, which equips you to do the work he's called you to do. If you don't think it's inspired, then guess what? You, you, won't, you won't find any profit in reading it. I, I don't really know how we can live in a world where we can, have, where we can say we, we hold both things. And so I'll leave you with this plan, these action steps. Listen, you have to have a plan to engage God's living and active word daily. You know, they say is that the failed, if you failed the plan, you plan to fail. I think this is true. You've got to read and study and memorize and meditate God's word daily. You've got to write down what the Lord speaks to you concerning his word. I would say that once you get a plan and you start reading, writing down what God teaches you, that's fairly easy. I would say that four and five become the harder steps for us to take. Will you be obedient when his word rebukes you and corrects you? Will you allow his word to transform you? And when you do these things, you'll be known as somebody devoted to the word of God, and you'll know how to love God through his word with your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Let us pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, at this church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, we believe that anytime God's word is shared, there's always an invitation to respond. And I'm fully aware that in every room this morning, somebody sitting there that does not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And God this morning might have used verse 15, as Paul was writing to Timothy, these words make you wise for salvation, and you may be sitting here today realizing that I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And through the Holy Spirit's conviction upon your life, you need to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. And I'll say this, you can either come forward when we stand and sing in just a minute and talk with me, or when we dismiss, you can move to the blue wall and just tell somebody you, you need to be saved. But to the believers in the room, How did God use his word to speak to you this morning? Are you in the yes, but category? Guilty of picking and choosing parts of scripture that align with your own worldview? Questioning whether or not it's authoritative and has the power that everybody says it has? Maybe God's been teaching you something in recent days through his word that you need to do something with, you need to be obedient to. Maybe his words rebuked you and provided a pathway correction that you need to walk. And maybe he's training you for a good work and you simply need to say, yes, I'll do it. Only you and the Lord know what he's calling and asking you to do and you respond as, as he leads. For some of you, it may be to stand and sing and declare God's praise. Others, it might be to sit and pray. Some may want to come and kneel at the front and speak with the Lord, or you may need a pastor to pray with you. You respond as the Lord leads. Father, I pray that your word, being living and active, would do a work of transformation in our life that is pleasing to you. And God, I pray that we'll be obedient to it. And that through our obedience, we will love you 
with the way that we live our life. God, thank you for your word. An incredible book written by multiple people, but your word being spoken on every page. Nobody could articulate that. Nobody could orchestrate that except for you. And God, we thank you for that living and active word. And God, may we do with that living and active word what you are calling us to do today. And we pray this in your name. Amen.